They really were thoroughly blessed. But Neil just wanted me to remind us, and it's worth reminding us, that actually when the laptop was given, your Miller mentioned to Neil and Anne and said this would take uh, approximately one, more like two months' wages to actually buy this computer. Um, so we're talking big, big deal here. So if you imagine, you know, somebody's just earning a couple of hundred quid, that's 800 quid. So we're talking 1,600 quid they would use to purchase a laptop. Well, we know we can purchase one. There's no secrets here. It cost us 500 quid to, bu to buy the laptop. But for them, it was such a massive thing. And actually, their daughter, Christina, who's 18, she's been saving up now for two years to purchase a laptop. And many of our kids who are, you know, 12, 13, 14, they've got access to computers and laptops. They've had it for years. So, and Blackberries and whatever else. And we're not knocking that. We, we, we rejoice in the fact that we can enjoy those and our kids can enjoy them. But it just gives a little bit of perspective again. So just to say that they were absolutely thrilled by the fact that they've now got this laptop and Yarmila's never had a camera. And uh, she had a digital camera that she can... Uh, and again, it was 100 quid with a leather case and with a SD card in there. Total. It was just awesome to be able to be part of that. So it's down to, to us. That comes from the money that's given in. It's the tithe from the church. So it's all, all us contributing to, to bless them. And that was a good thing. So I think that deserves a round of applause, don't you? I really do. That's great. It really is fantastic. Okay, let's continue with our series, shall we, of Unsung Heroes. Um, we've looked at the boy in uh, the story with the feeding of the 5,000. At that baptismal service, we looked at John the Baptist and saw some things around John that were so important. And last week, we looked at Barnabas, who's a little bit more well-known but uh, we saw the relevance of Barnabas as an unsung hero. This morning, I want to turn your attention to the book of Haggai. And if you're not sure where that is, it's in the Old Testament, and really you just need to work from the back of the Old Testament, go three books in, and you'll find Haggai. That's probably the best way to do it. Okay, so you get Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and you'll find it uh, there. And... Um, I want to speak about Haggai as an unsung hero. There are some of you who have studied the Word of God and have been through different uh, educational tools to understand the Bible better. So, you know, this might not be new stuff to you. But the others of us, we may have never even touched the book of Haggai. We may not really know much about this uh, unknown, in many ways, prophet. And the question that may arise from you this morning is, well, what relevance has this book and this little unknown prophet to my life and my situation. I mean, what relevance is there? I can't even say his name properly. Never mind, understand what his, what his name, uh, you know, what his life means to me. But I want to take a look at, at, at it. So we're going to read from it in a moment. But I just want to make a few comments before we do that. Because he is classed as a minor prophet. Just by the fact that, you know, compared to Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah... His work consi consisted of 38 verses. If you look, there's Haggai 1 and Haggai 2, and the whole two, two chapters consist of 38 verses in the Bible, not, not great shakes. The other thing to note in that is that he, he, lived, he lived 25 centuries ago, so that might be where you're thinking, well, what on earth is Christian flagging up Haggai for? He lived uh, at the time 
of, uh, of the day when uh, King uh, Sirius was, was around. And in 538, 538 BC, the king of the day, uh, Sirius, decreed that the Jews who were in exile in Babylon could return to their home city, Jerusalem. Prior to that, he'd made sure that those people were not allowed to go back to their home city. They were in Babylon and that was where they were going to stay. But he decreed that they could go back to their beloved city, Jerusalem. And the purpose of them going back was to rebuild the city, uh, sorry, to rebuild the temple. The temple was in ruins again. It seems like it's just a, you know, the history of the Jews, the history, history of, of Israel that they went through times of where there was so much blessing in the, in the city and in the land and the temple was built, but there was occasions when there was just absolute ruins and this was one of them. You see, what had happened years earlier to, to this, that the, the temple of the Lord had been ramshackled, it had been vandalized and ultima, ultimately demolished. And so it was there lying in ruins. And you may say, well, so what? There's loads of buildings around Ilkeston and around the town and around the region that we could look on and see that they're in ramshackled state, they've been vandalized and they've been demolished. The, the, the big deal about this is, at that time, the temple of the Lord was very significant. Not just to the Israelites, but to the people, because they worshipped other gods. Other nations worshipped other gods. And this is what it meant to them. You see, the peoples of the day, of this day, measured how much another people thought of their God by how fine a temple they had erected to him. So as long as the temple remained destroyed and unattended, the testimony of the Jews was only negative. So you can see the issue here. Everybody looking on, they were not a disgrace. <laughs> Look at the temple in Jerusalem. It's ramshackled, vandalized, demolished. What a bunch of jokers these Jews are. They say they own the God of all gods. How can he be the God of all gods while their temple is in ruins. Do you get the picture? And what happened was, the people were released from exile, went into this, into this city, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But what happened in the midst of this story, God chose a prophet by the name of Haggai to stand and speak to the people. He wasn't particularly eloquent. This is one of the best uh, minor prophets to read. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. There's nothing mystical about his language. He's very simple and very direct. So I'd like us to read Haggai in chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter because it only consists of uh, 15 verses. I'll make reference to chapter 2, but we won't read it together. So if you've got your Bibles, please just read it along with me. You may have never read it before and that might be a tick box now that you've read Chapter 1 of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of uh, Jezadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses 
while this house remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. And you earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber timber, and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What brought you home? I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. His own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops, I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai. Because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, uh, the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the six months. So we see a picture. We see a picture. We actually see two pictures. The first picture I've already um, referred to, that the temple of the Lord was in ruins. And we can see pictures in our minds of weeds growing and Stones scattered all over and just, you know, almost a wasteland. That's the first picture. The second picture that we see from here is, there are, is, is a group of people who originally came back to rebuild the, the, the temple, but now are only focused on themselves. All they're concerned about is their house. All they're concerned about is how good their house looks. All they're concerned about is their needs. There's the second picture. So we see the picture of the wasteland and we see the picture of their houses that are all nicely uh, fashioned, painted, windows, etc., etc. And that is their house. Two pictures that Haggai was addressing. Now, there's a few things that I need to let you know before we really get to the crux of this. The very reason the people returned out of exile of Babylon was to rebuild the temple. Do you understand that? That was the very reason they left Babylon and went into the city because they were fed up with the disgrace of the temple and they went to build. So their hearts were right. But what had happened was they had got distracted. It wasn't that they were totally adverse to God, not at all. Their hearts were, they left the, if you can say, the comfort of Babylon 
to go to return to build. But what had happened in between, and they'd actually, history records, they'd actually started to rebuild. They'd taken four years of building. But what had happened, a thief had come, not a literal thief, but a thief called opposition, called apathy, called indifference, had got a hold of this group of people. That is what had happened. Their hearts originally were to build, but now apathy, indifference, and opposition, because they were hostile neighbors, had started saying things to them. So what they started, they now left. They just thought, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to concentrate. My priority is going to be on me. Now are you understanding why this has relevance 25 centuries later to this people that we're addressing here? Because in my mind, it could see like the, the world is all it's focused on is what? Me. And God's wanting to get our attention. You see, they started something, but then they left it. We'll pick that thought up in a moment. And they lost sight of the priority. John Maxwell talks about the, the, the prophet Haggai as addressing the law of priorities. Now, we did that, didn't we, from, can you remember the law of right priorities? He calls it the law of priorities. And so what happened was, there's all this indifference, there's all this apathy. The temple is still in ruins while they're building their own houses. And God says, enough is enough. I'm going to send my man to start changing something in that city. So up steps the unsung hero by the name of Haggai. And Haggai's message is simple and direct. And it has a priority message that was like a sledgehammer. Have you ever come across people that when you talk to them, you're just trying to dodge them? Not because they're being edgy, but you just know they're going to say something that you don't really want to hear. You just see them coming and you think, I don't really want to hear what they have to say. Because what they have to say is going to be true and right, but I don't want to hear it. Well, up steps Haggai. Let's look at the sledgehammer bit, shall we? If you've got your Bibles, verse 2. You see, this is what it says. The Lord Almighty says, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Oh, the time has not yet come. It's not time to build the Lord's house. Let's just focus on my house. Whack! The sledgehammer comes. Because what they'd actually done is they believed the lie. They took the deception and they believed it. Whack! Verse 4. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses, while this house remains a ruin, whack! He smacks again, because he says, you have wrong priorities. Verse 5, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but are never have you fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You earn wages, only to have them just run through your purses. Whack! The sledgehammer comes again. He's so simple. I like this prophet. When I've looked at him, I thought, I really like this prophet a lot. Yeah, I wonder why. And then verse 9. 
if that isn't enough, they're just, you can imagine them, they're just, it's like one of these cartoons, Tom and Jerry, where they're just running around, you know where Jerry, is it Jerry the cat? He normally, Tom's the cat, is he? Oh, I don't know why I thought that. Tom's the and he's normally walking because he's had a saucepan on his head or something like this, and he's just walking around. Well, you, this is what these people were like. And now, he whacks it again. Look at verse 9. You expected much, but see, I turn it to be little. What brought you home? I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Whack! And for good measure, whack! Again. I feel like Vic Reeves and, uh, and uh, you know, our shooting stars. But anyway, you have never seen it. It's a great, great. The, the, the new ones are rubbish. The originals are brilliant. But you can see the, the point. Haggai addresses these people. And this message comes again to us 25 centuries later. See, God's heart is for his kingdom to be seen on earth. For the church to arise strong. But apathy, indifference, the opposition of hostile neighbors has got a hold of people and people have down tools and have concentrated on building their own lives. Unfortunately, we can't just say it's to people who are shopping at Tesco today and are being Q and going to Mark Eaton. And we can see it across the church. I'm really not being edgy here, but we can see it across the church. I'm not just saying the the church where people just build their own lives and God is saying my house needs to be your priority my house needs to be oh but you know no, this organization and this no no my house needs to be your priority you see God showed this people as they built God's house he will build theirs. You've heard me say that before. And these principles that I want to share, I just want to share four things with you very quickly. I I don't need to be (laughs) complicated. I think I've hit you between the eyes with the the Bible. But there's four things that I want to share from this ancient story that I believe if we apply them will be very helpful to us. The first thing is this. Those who prioritize the building of God's house God will help and bless. If you will prioritize the building of God's house, God will help and bless you. I'm not talking about you necessarily picking up a paintbrush, although there is some application that we need in some people and getting involved in the building. I'm talking about the building of the house. We are the church. You understand that? It's all about God. But those who prioritize the building of God's house, God helps and bless. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that, so that I, make, I may take pleasure in it and be honoured. It's interesting to note that verse 8, I want you to just look at verse 12. They'd add the wax and then just look at verse 12. It's interesting to note that the people obeyed, the, Zerubbabel obeyed, Joshua obeyed, the people obeyed. And then what is the message from verse 13? God gave this message to the people. I am with you. There's a change. 
way before he says, I can't be doing with you. You, you understand with you how you're living. But now he's saying, you build my house. I am with you. I am with you. Why is it that some of us are doing lots of things and we're thinking, why is it working? It's because we're not building God's house. We're building our houses. If we will just learn to build God's house, God says, I am with you. I am with you. Matthew 6 verse 33 sums it up lovely. He says this, Jesus says, seek first. First. Not second, not third, not fourth. Seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. And then all these things... You have to look at the context of what he's talking about. He's talking about the clothes, the, the filling, you know, eating, etc. All these things will be added unto you. I was talking to a couple this week and they just said, we've just sought to honor God with our giving. Started praying with one another. and Just really trying to give ourselves more to God than we've ever done before. There's a bill that needed to be paid and we was wondering how we was going to get it paid. And they said, we just looked at the bank account. And there was £2,000 in the bank account, more than we should have had. So they said, we must just call the people who've sent it and said, have you got it right? Well, they've got it right. So now that £1,000-plus bill that they had to pay has now been paid by this £2,000 that's just come in. I'd love to tell stories like that, and there are many stories like that that people could tell. I'd love to say it happens to me all the time. It doesn't. But all I'm saying is, as this couple have just sought to seek God first and put him first in everything, then what? guess what God says? I am with you. I am with you. It does happen sometimes. You see, we are so preoccupied with the material, and this is what he was addressing. These people were so preoccupied with the material and God says, no, I want you to be focused on the creator, not on the created. Yeah. We're often focusing on what is created. So what's created? Cars, houses, clothes. All those things are created. Where does he want us focus? I'm speaking to all of us here, all the leaders, myself included. He's wanting our focus to be on the creator. So if we will prioritize the building of God's house, God says, I will help and I will bless you. Number two, the principle that we need to apply is the threat of opposition and apathy can stop great projects. The threat of opposition and apathy can stop great projects. There was a project that they were building, but they'd allowed hostile, the hostility of the neighbors and apathy and indifference to get a hold of them. They started, but they did not finish. And those things can stop great projects. You see, people will criticize. People will want to bring down. There will be people who oppose you as you seek to please God. And they will do it because they want to stop greatness in your life. That's all that's happening. I see it so many times when people give their lives to Christ, really seek to live for God, and then everybody just closes in on them. What are you doing that for? Why are you living there? What are you giving that for? Why are you being down there all the time? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to, this opposition is to stop greatness happening in your life. God knows if he gets your whole heart, he can do unbelievable things in and through you. The blessing that will come upon your life as you give him everything is just amazing. It's immeasurable. 
and there will be opposition and the enemy, Satan, understands the power of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. One fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ can turn the world upside down. Read the Bible. One uneducated, unschooled, ordinary person who's switched on for God and loves God with a passion can turn the world upside down. And so there'll always be opposition. And it can stop great projects. We hear stories of a single mom who says, enough's enough, I've been living in this situation, I ain't having it anymore, I'm going to educate my children, I'm going to bring them up right, I'm going to teach them manners, I'm going to do my best work, even if it takes me three jobs, because why? I'm going to break the cycle, and everything will stop that single mom from doing that, because it wants to keep you in the cycle. Apathy, indifference, opposition will try and keep you there. That young leader who goes to a church and sees the potential of a church, even though they're in a broken down church, the church all's leaking, there's no central eating that works, there's a handful of people and, and, a, and a few rats, and they can see great potential. There'll be everything that will try and stop that young leader from doing all that he can do. Why? Because God sees the potential and the enemy sees the potential and he will do everything he can to oppose that young leader and bring apathy and indifference. Put it into your context. How many times have you thought something really great and then something's got in the way? It's usually apathy, indifference, opposition that have got in the way to try and stop that great project. Number three, what can we learn from Haggai? Well, don't just start something, finish it. Don't just start something. Please, finish it. These people went, they left their comfort of Babylon They were committed to this project. They started to rebuild. But then a few years in, because of what we've just mentioned, of the opposition that came, they stopped the project of God. Don't just start something. Let's finish it. One of the things I'm very keen on, and these guys have heard me say this, we have to keep using words like, can we sustain what we're going to start? Can we finish what we're going to begin? Big, big questions. There's no point start. Anybody can start anything. Don't think you're clever by starting something. Anybody could do that. Well, most of us can do that. It's finishing something that's the issue. And that's where you have to put whatever you need to put in to make it happen. So the church in Mansfield, one of the things I was very keen to stress on that July the 4th, Independence Day... Yeah, you didn't go unnoticed with me. As I spoke before the people, I said to them, and there was only, I spoke before the people, sounds like there were hundreds there. There was, I think, 11. Um, and I think that included the leaders as well. But I just said to them, guys, you must understand that when we put our hand to the plow, we're going to see this thing through. We're not just going to start something, but we are going to finish it by God's grace. And I am committed to not just starting things, but finishing things. So if that means we have to start smaller and just let a slow burn, that's cool, but let's just make sure that we're people that start and finish, because otherwise it's an utter disgrace. Have you ever seen buildings that have been started and you think, God help us, years later, eight years, ten years later, they're just there and you think, what's happened to that? It's because obviously somebody's lost interest or not got the money or whatever, but it's just not been finished. And I see it in church. We need to start and finish. And fourthly, this is really important as we look at the book of Haggai. And this is what he 
helps us to see if we apply it to our lives. Are you still with me this morning? Are you still alive this morning? Great. Lastly, we have to see and believe. When I put that down, I thought, do we need to believe and see? Or do we need to see and believe? I couldn't quite make my mind up, so I just thought, well, we'll see and believe. That God has more blessing in your future than in your past. How do I know that? Well, let's just look at Haggai 2. I will be finished quickly. In Haggai 2, verse 3, there was an issue because some people had remembered the temple as it was. And he asked the question, who of you is left? Which generation is left? Who has seen this house in its former glory? Now, you must understand the temple, the Solomon's temple was just awesome. The temple of the Lord was just awesome, filled with all kinds of wonders, all kinds of riches. It was magnificent. People just looked and saw, well, if that's the temple, then God must be great. It was an awesome temple. But he says, how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? You see, they were questioning, they were thinking, we're never going to get to where it was before. How are we going to do that? So that's why they don't bother doing it. They just think, well, it's never going to be as good as it was, so we'll leave it. We must believe and see that God has more blessing in your future than in your past. I've felt this very prophetically for people this morning. And let's just flick over on this point to verse 9. Because then he goes on to say, he says all kinds of things that the Lord's going to do through verse 6 and 7. Actually, I will shake all the nations. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. He's basically saying, I'll bring the silver and gold. You don't need to worry about all that. All you need to do is just get the timber. I'll sort the other material out. And then verse 9. Those who remember, he almost is saying, those who remember the temple as it was, you need to understand something. Because this is the decree, not of the prophet, this is the decree of the Lord. Listen, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And then, and in this place, I will grant peace. Anybody want peace? Anybody believing in their future days for peace? This is, the, this is the word of the Lord. God says, not only will I do what I need to do to make the temple glorious, I will also grant you peace, because they've never had peace. I will give you peace. You see, the house that God is wanting to build today is more glorious than the house that he built yesterday. And he wanted these people to see and believe that God has more blessing in their future than in their past. I feel absolutely pumped up about this point. God has got more things for us in our future than in our past. Now, some of you have experienced blessing. You've seen a great temple that's been built. You've seen great things that have happened in your life. I want to encourage you to not live there, but to believe for greater things in God. Amen? Some of you have had an absolute torturous time in your past. You want to close the door to your past. And you need to believe and see that God has more in the future than in your past. God has more. So this unsung hero, Haggai, he took an unfinished project with its disgrace. 
He took apathy and indifference and opposition head on. He applied great leadership in the reprioritizing of God's people in God's house. He reestablished godly values and principles that says it's no longer just my house. We're going to build God's house. Listen, we need to heed the warning of the prophet Haggai today. And remember that as we take care of God's house, he will take care of your house. He will take care of your house. That is why we need to remember Haggai, the prophet, the unsung hero, and apply those principles to our lives today. I trust you found that helpful and beneficial. I wonder if we bow our heads.